0: It's not like there's, there's like anything magic about me or you, but what we're doing is we're doing an approach where we're talking about it, we're trying to talk about it rationally or using our logical mind, but we also hold on to like the unknown. And we talk about the actual things which we see. And that's a quality, that's a frequency, that's a, that's a whatever you want to go and describe it. It's a thought form. And when a sincere listener listens to that, they receive that frequency, when they receive that vibration whatever you want to call it, like they're in that, they they hear that that sacred chord and then they start seeing it in their lives. And that's what happens. So it's like almost like, it's irrelevant of what, what we're talking about, it's just the quality in which we're bringing about it, the quality in which the listener has and then it allows them to go and have experienced more and more which to me you know in my opinion is an indication of an integration with the deeper level of reality not necessarily like you know the false story which which we're told by all of the control systems but the level beneath it where things connect
1: Uncle Mike, what's going on?
0: How we doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing all right. What are you on the road?
0: I am on the road driving to Baltimore.
1: Right on. How how have you been? It seems like you've been moving all over the place the past few. I
0: have been moving a lot. So when's the last time we talked? We talked when I was driving from. I think I picked up uh, with you right in, in Georgia, and I went to central Pennsylvania in the last time we spoke, and I went to my parents' place at the villages. Right. And I stayed there for maybe six or seven days, and then I went to my sister's place who lives uh, probably about two hours by car away in um, St. Petersburg, Florida. Right. And I stayed there for three days, and then I flew back into Pennsylvania, and I've been uh, here for two days, and now I'm heading back to Baltimore.
1: Right on. So, yeah,
0: there's been a lot of, there's been, oh, God, so much to talk about. There's so much has happened, but that's what my last stretch has been. And, and before I get into those details, how about you? What have you been doing for the last?
1: That is the life of a podcaster, you know, just uh, podcasting. I I went on a drive yesterday, but yeah, nothing really too notable. I have a few things for sure that we can talk about, but I'm way more interested in your journey and what you've been up to.
0: All right. So maybe I'll begin starting with this. So we're going to look at it from a bit of a synchronistic lens. And There's another term I want to use, which, which describes the same lens, but also in a a different, in a different language set, which I think also helps people to understand like kind of how the the approach. And so it's called dreamwalking. You ever heard of dreamwalking before?
1: No, but it's funny because that's exactly what I was going to say. I've been having dreams every night for the past week. Just seems like it's out of nowhere. And I told Tara and she said, oh, it's probably because we're in Pisces season, Mark.
0: Uh, yeah, that would definitely like, you know, Pisces is certainly the, the archetype for dreams. So say eighth house, actually eighth and fourth house, but which would be Scorpio and, and, and Cancer. But yeah, definitely like that's without a doubt.
1: But no, I don't um, know and, what dream walking is. Is that so?
0: Dream walking is a term which refers to looking at your your waking events, so your walking events. You're like physically alive and walking in the material world, but viewing it through the lens which you would view your own dreams, like kind of from the symbolic lens. Which is very much like a synchronistic. Synchronistic often looks at a focus on the synchronicities, but you're 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 trying to um, extract a value. If you're trying to extract a value or a meaning from it, it's like you have to then look at it through this in a similar way of which you may look at a dream. And so, dream walking is just the process of. Understanding your own journey from that lens, and so that's what I'm going to do. For I'm going to begin this this, this little uh this little story with a little bit of dream walking practice. Really, they're two parts. So where I where this where this journey really began was in Baltimore, and the place I talked I talked a lot about this location where I am in Baltimore and how it overlooks this park and, and all this sort of stuff and how amazing it is. Right. Uh, the, the park itself, and I, I don't know if you and I spoke about this or if I spoke about it, this to someone else, but the park itself was, at the at the neighborhood which I, which the house is located in, was once all of the property of this guy, and I can't recall his name, but he was this Baltimore... I don't even know what you call it, industrial engineer. And his specialty was railroads, or at least that's what I'm going to ascertain, because he went to Russia, and he designed the railroad system, which went from, I believe it's Minsk to St. Petersburg. Or maybe it was Moscow to St. Petersburg. And then he came back to Baltimore, and he had a lot of money, and he built this big estate. And the big estate is called Crimea, C-R-I-M-E-A. So it's got all of this kind of Russian implications and particularly, uh, I guess that would be like what we now think of Western Russia. So, so, so kind of near Ukraine, Right. like in that sort of area. So we're dealing with, with those sort of
1: Thomas decay winnings.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was funny because there's a little bit of a wand in there. Right. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I just know about what's like the, his Wikipedia story. I haven't gone any deeper than that. Like, you know, that's, that's my basic understanding. I've never heard of this guy until I moved his house. So anyway, <clears throat> so all, so that's kind of the starting point. And then, and then the, yeah, I would say the, the conclusion or at least of like the, 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 the real journey part of the travel of the trip was in St. Petersburg. Um, Florida. And that was never really part of the mission or when I was originally originally going to go down or knew I was going to go down, I knew that I was going to see my parents, but I wasn't planning on seeing my sister. Hmm. And so that kind of unfolded naturally while I was down there. And I went down to St. Petersburg. and, and, And so that was kind of the conclusion. In St. Petersburg, Florida, which is on the Gulf Coast, across Tampa Bay from the city of Tampa, it is a very popular tourist attraction. Or a tourist destination for 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 Russians and for Eastern Europeans. It just you know naturally, maybe because of the name, maybe for some other reason, but it 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 has a large population, tourist population of these very like kind of well-to-do, affluent, um, like you know Russian folks. So all of that is happening at the same time. Like this this Ukrainian-Russian war has been um, propagated. In the collective consciousness for at least six years now, right? Yeah, and it's gone to a head at the same time. It's come to a head. Hmm. So, so it's like I see those sort of things, and and uh, you know, my mother's side of the family, they, you know, both of her parents were Ukrainian. They were born in, U- so I've got a little bit of that going on. So whatever that means, but I'm looking at it more from a dream walking perspective. And so, you know, we we think about it as is different countries, or we could think about it as different countries like Russia and Ukraine, but uh, really any sort of place in the world which is kind of touching, like it's it's kind of the same sort of of, of people, whether that's in in, in, in Asia or Europe or South America or North America or Africa, like it's, it's, there's more similarity there than less similarity between the peoples and the cultures. So you can very much look at this as a, like the, the, the whatever's happening right now in the Ukraine, you could look at it as maybe a civil war. And that could be looked at as an internal war as well. Like, you know, within oneself, within one's, you know, how, however, you want to interpret this idea of, of like sameness and warring with itself. And so that kind of, that, when you look at that from a, from a very, very personal level, you know, every person or particularly any person who has been born in this culture with the sort of model of the psyche that we have been, we've been given part of that interior, part of the process of maturity over a lifetime is very much about a internal war. Right. You know, and that's like, you know, that's part of the human experience. You know, as soon as I, I, I kind of framed it very much by, by saying in our culture, but I'm remembering, I know this was at my grandmother's house. I, I, I can remember this as a child she had on the wall, that story of, of the, there are two. It's you know, it's a, it's a Native American story that that the son asks the father, the, or the father tells the son that there are two wolves inside of everyone, and one is this, and one is that, and then the, the son says, well, father, who wins? And the father says, whichever wolf you feed, you know that that's very much like an internal war, that's a civil war, and so going back, to, for me, going back, you know, this has been very much like a, a story of home. And everything which home represents. You know, I'm in the neighborhood which my mother grew up in. I am I went to go see my parents. I went to see my sister. I've been in all of these kind of different homes that it would make sense that on when you're looking at in internal stories, they're not just your own, they're also they're, they're also within your, your lineage. You know, you learn it from your family, whether it's by learning what their behaviors are in your first seven years life or whether you want to say it's DNA or whether you want to say it's something else, whatever it is, it's true. Like, you know, you're passed on the behaviors, which your parents have, guess what? Their parents had it and they learned it from their parents most likely. So it's like these behaviors are passed on. So the point of all this, you know, the point of this whole journey and looking at this, and it's, it's really nice to have this, this opportunity in the car to to kind of reflect and, uh, on what it is. is like this is tapping into that type of archetype, and I'm seeing it both in myself on an individual level, and we're also seeing it on a collective level. And my guess is I'm not the only individual which is kind of tapping into this thing, but that is really what it seems like is is – is the preface of what that this journey has been for me?
1: Right. Returning to that family archetype
0: and like like stepping into it. like not not with not with an expectation of solving, but an expectation of maybe uh, greater awareness and acceptance. Okay, And I mean that in like the, the, the most grand general sense, meaning that it could be applied to any sort of scenario. And so <clears throat> my time, though, in the cities, like I recognize that everything which I'm looking at and which I'm going to go into the next part of, of the story is ultimately a reflection of both something maybe internal within myself within my family line, but then maybe something greater with cultures, because what was most interesting to me wasn't like, you know, really paying attention to my family dynamics or anything like that, but it was looking at these different cities of Baltimore, the villages and St. Pete and seeing them all as different sides of the same die. You know, they're the same sort of, they all have a, a of a core, of of decay and and something which is really out of balance, you know, just like basic cultural sort of stuff, but in different versions. Like Baltimore is a certain way, and the villages are a certain way, and St. Pete is a certain way, and they're all different expressions of the same sort of thing, which we're seeing kind of crumbling, but then also being reborn right before our eyes right now. that make sense
2: yeah yeah for sure uh,
0: all right all right so so let me go into the villages. can I go into the villages please do so I don't remember if we talked about this like what do you, do you have any idea what the villages is
1: we might have talked about this I don't know maybe I'm confusing this story as dealing with your parents when it was dealing with somebody else but am I incorrect in thinking that these villages have something to do with Disney or was that a different conversation? Oh, you're
0: spot on. You're spot on okay. Spot on. So, <laughs> so the villages is the world's largest active adult community. You know, you have to be over 55 to live there, but it's not like a nursing home. It's just like we're all, you know, people over 55 live and they just do all sorts of fun, active things. And, and, you know, that's been a big trend over the last 20 years that these things have been popping up throughout the world or throughout North America at least because of the whole, like, aging boomer population and so forth. This is, like, catering to that. So this is the biggest one of them all. It is 20 miles from end to end. And wow. the whole thing is so – it's, it's north of Orlando. And – and it's connected through Disney in this way. That Disney has a consulting arm and they bring the Disney know how. I say that in quotation marks, whoever hires them as a consultant. So looking at Disney without judgment, like, you know, Disney is, is, is this sort of decrepit part of, of culture, like, scratching that and just saying, like, what Disney does, they do better than anyone. They do better than bring it to anyone. Like their fit and finish of their product is like, you know, it's the highest level of, of, of amusement parks and fantasy and movies. Like they, they do it well. And so the Villages hired Disney consultants to bring that level of, of doing it well to what the Villages is. And so it is in this to the same degree that when you step into Disney, Crackers. You know when you're driving on the highway and then suddenly you see like all of the, the the brake lights.
1: You just hit the sea of brake lights.
0: Yeah, I just hit hit the sea of brake lights. So oh. that's a good thing though. So Infowars.com is written in big letters on the, the re- rear windshield of the car in front, and that's funny. That's so, okay. <laughs> beautiful. So. So imagine, like, uh, an active adult community, but just the biggest and the best, and it's this false reality, and it's immensely, like, planned perfectly, like, it's just, it's over 200,000 units and houses, and they all kind of look alike, it's got a very, like, kind of cookie-cutter feel, but they're all, each person has brought their own, like, flavor of uniqueness. Like in the same way you get a unique flavor of any way you get your Starbucks coffee, like no, I'll four pumps of this or two pumps. Like it's like, there's an element of, of uniqueness, but it's like, but it's within that, like weird, that like very limited sort of world. And it's so friggin' strange. And they've got golf courses everywhere and golf carts everywhere. Most people just get around this 20 mile area on golf carts. There are more golf carts on the road (laughs) and they're all souped up and they, they don't look like golf carts. They look like, you know, you know people turn them into other cars or looking like other vehicles. And there are pools everywhere and there are these like country clubs and then they have squares and every night there's live music and they've got all these restaurants. And on a certain level, like in the, the same way, like if you would like Disneyland, like you go there and it's clean and it's neat, and the rides and people are in costumes, like it's, it's kind of fun, I suppose. But then after a month or two, you're like, all right, I got, you know, it's, you, it's just not real. And that's what the villages is. Wow. And it's not, and it's not just that you've got 200,000 people in the most unnatural, um, environment like if you look at the history of humanity like never have we taken our elders and separated them from from the next generation
1: (laughs) and we're and put them in their own like nostalgia bubble of like hey remember what it was like when you were 30
0: (laughs) totally totally so it is both sides of the equation are getting screwed okay because there is something very meaningful and real as when one gets at the end of their life and they are able to share. Mm. And they no longer have to carry the sort of burdens that you carry when you're 30, 40 and 50. Right. And now it's like you're at a different period of time and if you think about it like you know in, in like however you want to imagine when humans lived in more of a like in a communal sort of environment, it's like um, you know maybe not everyone would make it to 70, 80, 100 whatever. But, like, each person who does, like, there's a, there's, there's a, a growing amount of, of love and respect between the community and the wisdom and all that sort of stuff. That's robbed from all these folks. That's robbed from oh, them. And, and, so, from
1: so, their, and from their kids and grandkids. I mean.
0: Everyone. Everyone yeah. loses out. So we've got those people, and we put them in Disneyland. And they're separated from something, but they're given this false. They're given this. It's like a Skittle. Like the villages is like a friggin' Skittle. You know the, the Skittles? Like Skittles were invented. They were they were designed by 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 food scientists, chemists who know the human brain like perfectly body They'd be like, well, we like this much crunch and this much sugar and this much tang and colors. And we want this. And they like, they weaponize it. That's why Skittles are so friggin' good. Like, like, but, but, but there's after like a handful, you're like, oh my God, this is so horrid. That's the villages. The villages, is that same architect. It's beautiful. And it's shiny. And there's so much to do, but it's so unnourishing. And, you know, to be at the villages, you had to, have, for, to a certain degree, have, quote-unquote, done right by society. You had to have done the right thing. Mm. Like, you had enough money to retire and to retire in a place like that. Right. So it's like, that by definition, if you're at the villages, you are, to some degree, and I would say a pretty high degree, like, you have been someone who's gone along with the system your entire life. And this is your reward. Right. Skittleville. <laughs> And so it's that sort of like consciousness, and they it and probably ninety percent of them are like doped up on just like regular pharmaceuticals, which they're all taking like thirty pills. It's my opinion. It's my personal opinion. There's literally something either in the water or the in the maybe the frequencies electromagnetic because it's so strange. It's so strange that so I'm going to give you an example in a moment. But I never feel. I always feel uh, I don't sleep well like I feel and I don't know is it because I'm near my parents is it because there's something else but like I never feel right I've been down there like maybe 10 times and since they've been there for at least maybe 10 years so there's so there's something about that and then there's this other thing it is immensely active like everyone is just like riding their bikes are playing golf they're taking walks like the whole place is just packed packed with people and everyone says hello to everyone when you pass them. And because it's so packed with people, you're like passing like more than you normally would see. It's not quite like being in a city like that dense, but it's a whole lot more than just like walking through your neighborhood.
1: Right. So and it's a little everyone, overwhelmingly extroverted.
0: Yes. And it's friggin' fake as shit.
1: <laughs> oh, like, I mean, yeah. there's, a
0: lev- there's a level of authenticity. Like it's like, like these people are genuinely like, hello, hi, how are you? Good day today. You know, like whatever, whatever the fuck they say. Like, like there's like an authenticity, like they want to say that and they want to make a connection. I would say like that is like the natural part of being human where, where this is a time in their life they want connection and it's not coming out any way, way normally. So there is something authentic about these people wanting to communicate, but then there's something which is, is not real about it. And I was talking to this to my mother, and that's kind of, you know, that's a little bit, I approach it delicately, because I don't want to be like shitting all over the place she lives, but but at the same time. So I'm talking to her about it, about being strange, and, and I was giving this as the example, and she's like, well, you know, it's nice, it's nice to say hi to everyone and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, yes, it's true. But if you were not in the villages, would you say hello to every single person you walk down the street? Would you say hello to them? And I was like, would you even want to? And she's like, no. And I'm like, and do you think any of these other people would? And she's like, no. And I'm like, so we can see for certain that this behavior changed. You become someone who you're not.
1: Right.
0: This is, do you think this is the only example? Do you think this is the only occurrence where you're becoming something that you're not? And that's kind of like what these false realities do. I'm, and and seeing And seeing – the villages in that light after coming from Baltimore. I'm going to compare it to Baltimore in a minute, but I want to just give one more thing. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with this one thing about the villages. So the villages, as you just heard, it should be quite e- evident that I don't have the most positive <laughs> of opinions of the villages.
1: I wouldn't either.
0: <laughs> so I go down there and I'm coming from like like a a rough, a rough couple of weeks, no matter how you want to, how you want to look at it. I mean, just from the fact that I'm living in a house without heat and I'm showering outside and like my, 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 my body sense of what cold means has changed. And like, you know, I don't have, I don't have a place to cook. Like all, like I've been kind of roughing it, if you will. Mm. And I go down to, to, the, to Florida, and, and it's maybe like 68 degrees out there. And everyone in the village is complaining. My parents and, like, their friends are like, oh, it's so cold down here. It should be 80 degrees. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And I couldn't believe it. And so they have they've – got, they've got pools all over the place. And they're re- they're really weird about all this sort of stuff. Like everything is like very micromanaged. and they've got like certain pools where you can bring grandkids, and we got certain pools where like no one under the age of thirty is allowed. Like even like if you're like a, a child a grandchild of 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 one of the village's members and and that's what the young people do for because a lot of people come down and visit their grandparents. So, so this pool. Which was the closest one to where my parents lived, like a five minute walk. I would go and maybe go there, to, uh, walk over there at 10 in the morning. And it's 65 degrees. And this pool is, it's really friggin' nice. Because I told you, the Disney folks, they do it well. And it's got a good scale. Like it's bigger than like a pool you would see in someone's backyard. But it's not like an Olympic pool, it's somewhere like, in between, a little bit more smaller. And it doesn't get deep. It only gets to, like, five feet deep. And it's just, like, really well-situated. Like, it, 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 it's nice. It's like, you know, if you have a sense of place, if, if you are affected by architecture, if you're affected by how things are laid out, which, which most people are, like, this one is done well. Proportion is all good. And I would get there in the morning. And because it was so cold, no one would be there. I would literally have this entire pool to myself. And it's maybe 65, 68 degrees. And I'm like, I can't believe how warm this is. And I've been showering like outside in a bucket when it would get to 50 degrees outside. And I'm like, oh my God, this feels so warm on my body. Like to go into the water, the water, which like, if I hadn't just come from this Baltimore experience, you know, I would have never gone in the pool. I'd be like, this is too friggin cool, cold. But, like, everything kind of shifted for me. And I'm like, in the midst of all of this, like, there's this amazing, like, gift that I was finding. And it was like, that was, that is the, the, the flavor and the experience of, of these places I went to. So I want to go and say, and, and do a quick comparison to Baltimore. And I'm going to pause and I want to hear your thoughts and, and, and if there are any questions so the villages is a Skittle and you know no Skittles is the best way to be but like you know like a Skittle, I might eat a Skittle on Halloween like when kids go trick or treating and I, I see some Skittles like, let me go have a Skittle, I might have like two Skittles a year and so like, like that would, I would call that that little bat or, or pool time would be my Skittle down in the villages but I want to compare this to Baltimore Baltimore is it's you know it's it's friggin cesspool. It's like the, the 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 processing plant of everyone's excrement from eating all this fucking skittles. Like that is fucking Baltimore. What you see is what you get. Like it is it is decrepit, but it's fucking real. It's fucking real as can be. It's like when someone says hi to you in Baltimore, like they mean it. And if they're not going to say hi to you in Baltimore, it's because they don't want to say hi to you. And, like, it is, like, it is, there's a truth to it. There's a truth to it. So the one last thing I'll say about Baltimore, I'm not going to get deep into this, and this may lead us down another conversation, is right when I was leaving to go down to to the villages, I get an email from someone, and someone who heard what well, I made this podcast, and they said, they said, hey, you know, what do you know about Edgar Allan Poe and, and Edgar Allan, something about Edgar Allan Poe. And Edgar Allan Poe is, he's, he's a Baltimore connection, like he's linked to Baltimore. This mean, just the very back that the Baltimore football team is called the Ravens, uh, is an indication of the level of the Edgar Allan Poe connection, because he wrote the Raven there. Edgar Allan Poe is not who we think he is. Now, I'll just leave it at that, but that coming to light also in correlation to Baltimore, I did not know this until this person brought up all of this Edgar Allan Poe stuff. I was like, I had no idea that this is part of the energy of Baltimore. So this is the comparing and contrasting which I'm seeing. Let me pause right now and give you an opportunity to to just kind of reflect upon any of
1: that. Right on. Yeah, we have talked about Edgar Allan Poe probably last time we spoke on the podcast. And yeah, as you were telling me about the villages, it just, it reminds me of this feeling I get from my father's parents because they are very much the epitome of the boomer generation. You know, like my, you know, my grandmother worked as a secretary at a high school and my grandfather was a firefighter, you know, so very like in the state type jobs. And that's where they go. They went down to Florida. They, you know, they're not living on a high horse or anything, but it is this feeling of like we did what we could for us and we got ours. Now you do the same. And I'm almost like, hey, don't you realize that our generations are way different and things are way different now? And, you know, they don't want to hear that. And that's been like the past eight years of my life, you know, especially when I dropped out of college. Why are, you, why are you dropping out of college? Well, because it's not the same as it was when you were, you know, when you were getting out of school and, and going to get a job. Like it's, we're living in a different world. And it feels almost like that generation has been almost used as this like poster child throughout the past century and like you know I don't know maybe I sound really jaded you know from my generation I'm only 27 for folks who aren't aware but you know it kind of feels like they got the best ride in the past 100 years you know they had it the easiest things were great you know and they and they have this whole nostalgia this whole culture of oh the good old days you know but it almost feels like there, there's a cognitive dissonance there where they don't realize how they took a part in making the world the way it is now. You know, like their, their attitude of me for the sake of me left us in a world where, you know, it's only one generation, so I can't put all the blame on them, but they put us in this position, I think, in some way, intentionally or not, where we were sort of, I don't know, left without the same opportunities they had for lack of a better way of explaining it. But the villages is just a sort of, for me, an incarnation of that. What do you think,
0: Mike? You just hit on one of my favorite topics to to talk about. Um, And it has to do with generational management. And so so the first thing is, I'm I'm Generation X. So it's easier for me to see the dynamic between the boomers and the echo. Right. Okay, so let's go and look at the Villages itself. Is it, uh, from this dream-walking perspective, uh, the Villages is, is the biggest, is the biggest, example culturally of this like artificial artificial controlled society targeted at boomers okay mm-hmm. that's what it is and the village is so weird I think there have been like three different documentaries made about it the reason why you make you know after like the first one like somebody saw that's like nah there's more to the story someone saw the second one like nah there's more to the story because this is like this is this place is abnormally strange so it is a symbol. it is showing it is a demonstration of the entire friggin boomer experience is that fake? This is just like the icing on the cake and and so a couple things like as you were describing like as you were describing the boomer experience um, like your, your viewpoint of the, of, the, of the boomer. So first off is like what is always true of changing cultures is the good old days and nostalgia. Because culture change, change every 20 years. The People from the 50s look back at like the 20s. Like, you know, the people in the 20s look back like, remember when? Remember we didn't have all this shit? Remember that? And it's become more and more acute.
2: Mm. <clears throat>
0: there there was a time when the boomers hated the greatest generation that's a generation before and they were known as the greatest generation boomers like f you man f you like that's the entire 60s movement is like you know they were this rebellious youth because they didn't get along with their parents like they went through the same sort of shit um and they really were the new generation. You're absolutely right. And there was, and, But they fit within the model. You go to college, you do this, and then this is what your reward is, and you go and do this, and we're going to give you all these drugs, and we're going to give you this, and we're going to give you all this sort of shit. We're going to give you the Vietnam War.
1: Well, and my Where's grandparents pick- were the squares on that end of the equation, too. So they weren't even, like, I think right. I, my dad kind of grew up on the tail end of that because he was born in the early 60s. So, you know. They were a little so, too old to become hippies, and he was a little too young to take part.
0: Well, it would probably be, like, imagine 20 years from now, and when people talk about millennials in a very, very kind of general sense, they may use the hipster as the symbol of youth, right? mm Like, could you see, like, in 20 years, like, that's a nice way to encapsulate uh, a movement. But then when you think, like, living here, like, you know, I don't really know that many hipsters. Like, you know, the hipster sort of archetype isn't really my reality. It's not that big of a deal. So that was true back then, too, with all of their symbols of the hippie. Right. So, like, you know, we begin to see that. Um, If we think about the generation, like, Think about selfie generation. Fast forward 30 years from now, assuming like there's still like culture, like we know it 30 years from now, like in terms of an organized function, like that would be the most me-oriented generation you could ever imagine. There's no way that does not become like so self-centered focused. That's what the entire social media movement has been designed. That's been as constructed as all of the fucking baby boomers. And it's been constructed to make you guys hate each other because you both did like been told all of these stories. The baby boomers hate you guys. Because they' because they're comparing your upbringing to theirs they're like it's so different and we had to do this and nostalgia and all that sort of fucking mess, bullshit. Mm. and then you got the people who are living through it and they're like what the fuck this isn't what I had and I don't have that they're like well you got if you can go and create like your own etsy account you've got you know all of this like comparison like you got this mm. like it's just a fucking game which has been set up to make the two generations which need to be fucking connected. Like, look at this just in terms of, like, human communal living. And I talked about, like, the elder before. But there's, there's like, a certain thing that happens with all of the generations. There's a relationship when there's a skip between grandparent and grandchild. And there's something that happens in a healthy relationship between the child and the parent when they're adults. When you're 30 years old and you come to your 60-year-old or 70-year-old or maybe 50-year-old parent. And you're like, I'm looking for guidance because culture hasn't changed so drastically. You're like, of course, son. Of course, daughter. I understand. Like, this, has been wep- this is what weaponized culture means. When it changes so fast that the different generations do not get each other. But the same shit's happening, but it appears on the surface, on the village's surface, on the skittle surface, that it's different. And like what's underneath all of that? There's not a single person who's not grown up in any Western culture in the last seventy-five years who does not have a taste of this in the the structure of their of their psychology. And so it's like this is this is the world, and what do we see? What do we see in Baltimore? We see this decay. The villages work economically. My father will never stop talking about it, the business model of the of the villages. He's like, it's just. He's like, oh, if they don't stop building, that's why they're always building. Because the moment they stop building, everything is like finance on debt, finance on debt, and as long as there's new people signing up, like it's going to be good. But there's going to be a day of reckoning, and the whole thing's going to collapse. My dad, and this is my dad's attitude. He's like, I'm 80. Somebody get out before the collapse. And like, you know, the it's a fucking Ponzi scheme. The entire fucking culture is a con, Ponzi scheme. It's built to collapse.
1: Well, and it's That's it's the how- perfect demographic to target for something like that because they're all like, ah, oh, well, I'm not going to be here long enough to see that day. You don't
0: think every every generation has their own flavor of that? We all do. Like if you look at the culture. And it's like the more and this is how this is like the general rule. The more rewarded and committed you are to that mainstream culture versus the more you reject it or the or the more you see it for what it is, like the more you're blind to it, you go along and you can't blame anyone. It's been done to you. It's like the more committed you are the more you are going to buy into those stories, and the more divisive you will be along whatever your Fisher points of divisiveness. Is. This is the Civil War. This is what I'm talking about. Like, like this dream walk. Like, like in reality. Like, you know, any in the type of, of, of programming, which anyone who would listen to a show like this would listen to. Like, you know, we're 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 we're, we're constantly being reminded of like, you know, those who are asleep and those who aren't. And it's always so easy. Like the two things are, are are true is like, it's very easy that everyone that can recognize that there's an, an asleep version and there's an awake version, regardless of wherever they draw that line. They also recognize there's a unified version where like everyone can kind of see it as it is. And so that to me, is really what what I'm hoping these conversations are, are about is like when we recognize like everyone is in this and recognizing how how committed they are to these device and stories and understanding like how they got them, how they got those stories to begin with.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Because everything you say about about the dynamic which you are experiencing. Between the the echo and the, you know, that's what, it's a boom, boom, and then an echo. They're connected. They're linked. And everything you're saying is an experiential truth on both sides of the equation. Because that is how it has been designed. And it's been designed to collapse at a certain time. And when it all does, it's like that's when it's easy to move to the next system. Hmm. And it's the same game. That's how it's always been. And that's like, and what's so interesting? Let me go and, 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 and segue to this, you know, and I'll get off my soapbox for a minute. Like when Hoffman talks about these large-scale Masonic psychodrama rituals, and he talks about them historically as like the Son of Sam murders in the seventies, Unabomber, um, Charles Manson. Right. So these, these, these were targeted. These are, and you understand, he's talking about it from a dreamwalking perspective, and he's also talking about it from an operational perspective, but these are the mechanisms of how you create the trauma in the collective mind of the generation. And as you see, you know, it has to become more and more acute because there becomes a, a, it's like with any addiction, it's like in order to still get the high, you need to up the dosage. And this is why it goes to like, more extreme of, like, 9-11 or, like, you know, mass shootings or what have you. Like, you can go and see those events. Like, this is how that, that, that boomer generation got some of their psychological scarring put in place.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that that's a big part of what propelled me into this just set of thought you know like when i was young i would go to my grandfather's house and he would be watching you know fox news war in iraq would be on the television and i just started to become really disillusioned with like this you know bond that i had with them can not on a emotional level but more of on like an intellectual level like i thought we all saw the world the same way I was learning from them. And then I started to see what was happening on the TV. And it was like, you know, it was like it was curtailed to give my generation one response and their generation another response. And then that began like this division where, you know, they started calling me a bleeding heart liberal and all this, you know, this rhetoric at that time that was aimed at people who were anti war. You know, and then when Obama came into office, it was like, you know, mildly racist comments that, you know, my whole life I had been kind of exposed to all cultures because that's just a, the area that I, yeah, it's, you know, the area that I'm in particularly probably is more diverse than others, but still it, it just, yeah, it's the world we're in now and yeah, I just, you know, those, those two sort of time periods from the Bush era to the Obama era, I saw, like, this really drastic, like, divide between myself and my grandparents. And then with Trump, then the divide came between myself and my parents even, you know? Not that I had seen eye to eye fully with them before, but... You know, now it seemed like everybody was arguing about this stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, and you could keep on going with that. Oh, like that—that's the model. That every every line of potential division, every line of potential division between people, two people, is a fissure a Fisher line, like a crack, a potential crack, and the more Fisher lines you have, like, you know, the more, the higher the probability of a collapse and destruction. Like there's it I mean, it's been going on for a while, but like there is, there are almost infinite now Fisher lines and culture. And they are all of just ideas, which were not in the collective 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, 50 years ago. And so, People grow up at a certain age to think this is how it is. This is what nostalgia is. This is what nostalgia is because when you're 50 and when these lines and what culture changes its value, you will talk to other 50 year olds about, do you remember when it was like this? Right. I mean, that's how the game works. I mean, and you could see how, and it works in every single, in every single way to divide. Technology is is a great example. Like It has been an ongoing joke for at least 70 years of whatever the, whatever the youthful generation would be, whatever would be the 20 year olds of the time. So the 20 year olds of 1950, the 20 year olds of 1960, the 20 year olds of 1970, they're all laughing at their grandparents because they don't know how to work a record player. They don't know how to work an eight track or they don't know how to work a toaster or they don't know how to work a vacuum. In the same way, you know, we would laugh now. Right? Like these are all ways which you just don't, you're like, we just don't see eye to eye. I just don't get it. You know, you see the world in a different way than me, man. And that is, and that is the separation. Those are not so individually, but within families, within cults, within within communities. Like, those are the civil wars.
1: All right. Now, I feel like you mentioned this, but we haven't gotten too far into it yet. But can you explain dreamwalking a little bit more, maybe how it pertains to this?
0: All right. So, We are in my so dream walking is a way of looking at mundane events of life through the lens of the, looking at those mundane events as if it's a dream. This is a dream, you know, and we are analyzing the dream which we are we are experiencing right now. And so, when you look at things as a dream, like you know, they are symbols that are connected. And which is very kind of like synchronistic, you know, it's very similar. And so <clears throat> look what's going on in the world right now. So that's why I said this 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 Ukraine thing. You know, it has been in the they've been, it's been hyped up collectively to various degrees for at least six years that there may be something going on in Russia and Ukraine. Mm. And right now, so this is the mundane event, right now it happens. This is the marker of when all of this six years of buildup has come to a head. So that, looking at through walking, they're like, okay, so so there's a buildup of something. Well, there's a buildup of. We're looking at it, and so I'm looking at this through my lens, through Mike's unique lens. Why? Because I, you know, and I'm not saying like you know, I'm saying it from the perspective we're both, we're at the same time we're we're all part of this collective but then we're also all having the individual experience. So I'm describing Mike's individual experience. So This is my dream but it's what I'm suggesting is we're all going through this right now but this is how it's very clear to me. So all of this Ukraine sort of uh, build up of civil war blows up at the same time I'm kinda going through that in my life. Okay, so I'm stepping into this greater degree and I'm seeing that from both me going from Crimea to St. Petersburg. This is Russian. This Mm. is the same time as as this Ukrainian thing. This is very close to me personally because this is the neighborhood where my mother grew up and her parents were both born in Ukraine. You know, just like things like that, things that will only have meaning to me. That's the thing with synchronicity is like it's it's meant to be a personal conversation. The And what, what does that mean? Because when you tell it to someone else, it's like it doesn't have the same thing as it does to you. Like when you see whatever you're, magic number color word is and you see it out in the, in the universe you're like oh I just saw such and such you're like your friends are like yeah okay that's cool it doesn't have the same thing that does not take away from the fact that it has a thing for you but it, it doesn't translate so I'm kind of sharing my thing like I'm not saying that this is a, a um, it should have the same thing for everyone who listens to it but if anything, as a representation of like, look what's going on, and like, see what's happening with you. And the reason why I'm I'm saying that this is so larger culturally is because look at everything that's happening right now, you know, and particularly as it relates to these cults, are are these generations, you know, there really is this this civil war going between the boomers and the echoes, and then the 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 the, the Gen Xers are kind of in between, and then the the, whatever you call the I don't know what they're calling like the Gen Zs or whatever is being born, like you know, they're 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 gonna be something totally different. If you touch the tablet before you were seven years old, your brain is wired in a way which none of us will ever and so it's like this is happening right now. And at the same time, the number of human beings who are listening to content, creating content like you and I are discussing right here. Like that number has never been bigger. You know, ten years ago that number was one tenth as it is right now. And ten years prior to that it was one tenth of what it was, you know, maybe one twentieth. Like it's getting bigger, it's growing faster. Something's gonna happen. Mm, right. I agree. And so it's like like we're at that spot. And so when I say that I'm I, I'm not looking for a solution of this dream walk but I'm looking for an awareness and an acceptance of what it is of this experience. Like, you know, that to me is part of this process is appreciating this process. This is what's happening right now. And like, we'll see how this unfolds. But my guess is like the, the, the the differences are becoming greater and greater. Like, you know, life changed after the event, September 11th, 2001. Life changed after the event of, of, of Columbine. Like, all of these stories, like, they, there was a little bit of a shift. And it's getting greater and greater. And, you know, this circling this back, to I think the whole purpose of this, of this you know, this, this podcast experiment, which we're all doing, is, is identifying what it is that we're stepping into as it's unfolding.
1: Can I give you a... So that's
0: the dream, dream walking. Okay. So yes, yeah, please, give
1: me. Can I give you an example? So just a few months ago, a fellow podcaster reached out and said, Hey, Mark, I know you live in Connecticut. Would you be interested in doing an episode on Sandy Hook with me? And I thought, you know, uh, maybe I'll think about it. But I said, yes, you know, kind of hesitantly. And I'm not totally unfamiliar with the case. In fact, I live pretty close to the area and I went and took a drive with Tara. You know, we went and took a drive through Sandy Hook and then another day that same week we were driving, we went through this area again, you know, just for whatever reason. And we drove by and this is like a, pretty well-known spot it's like a insane asylum that's been converted into sort of a public park and a sporting area so you know interesting enough in most places when they have an insane asylum that they shut down they just you know destroy it or leave it off in a remote area but no here in this state they take the insane asylum and they uh, turn it into a public park so we drove by that and then less than 2 3 oh. days later we're watching no, Let me
0: just be clear uh, how, where is this public park and insane asylum in location to to Sandy Hook or Newtown
1: It's it's pretty much it's pretty much I would say within 5 to 3 miles of the old school not the new school, but the old school. So, the old yeah.
0: school is where the events occurred?
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: okay,
1: okay. So, so it's
0: the same spot, the same
1: spot. Right, so it is, it is an odd area. So that's why we went over there. We just wanted to see what was going on, just see what we could sense, you know. And then within a week, there's a story on the news as we're eating dinner. You know, my grandmother has the news on, and Sandy Hook was, you know, Mentioned because the parents of the victims were, I guess, seeking a settlement over the, you know, gun manufacturer and they won in court and they held the gun manufacturer responsible, which, you know, I don't want to get into the politics of all that, but I just thought it was interesting that all of a sudden, you know, I go and we didn't end up doing that episode for whatever reason. The guests that he had lined up didn't show and we just canceled it. But yeah, it was interesting that in a similar way, like, oh, here I am driving around this area and then it's on, you know, national news within a week.
0: Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a, a, a phenomenon which which I I would like to track generally speaking like how many people are having those sort of events because I think that's mm. happening more and more I know I'm having very much that same thing over and over and I'm asking myself the question like uh because a lot of the events I only know just through the internet I'm like is this just is this the level of I can't verify that if this stuff happened. right but nonetheless nonetheless so okay so is there more to this story of you driving through and seeing the insane asylum
1: well, as we're driving through, we're listening to Greg Carwood's interview with Wolfgang Halbig, who basically, you know, broke down the case, and it's very compelling stuff. If folks haven't heard it yet, I would definitely recommend they go by and and check it out. But as we were driving, is that
0: a new episode, or did you guys pull up at one when it was more topical?
1: Yeah, no, this is this is an old episode because it's dealing specifically with this topic of Sandy Hook. But as we're as we're driving, listening to the episode in the town, Sandy Hook, we're driving by this church, the Church of Lima, right as Wolfgang is talking about his interaction with the priest who runs that church. So that Church of of Lima. Right. It's this Catholic church. It's, I think it's the, I don't know the saint's name, but the suffixes of Lima. Yeah. That's most. That,
0: that, that's that's friggin' dialed in, bro. That is dialed in. Right. That reminds, that's very similar of like, I've told you the story before of when um, <clears throat> I was listening to Jay Parker and then that night I was going to go for the first time and then I was going right. to go into a starboard session. Same thing. Like it's, that's, it's this level of well, integration which I would attract. And like, after,
1: I'm like, okay, wow, that's wild, Mark. And after what you're saying now, I and I'm kind of it's making me think even more that this is something that's happening, you know, in, like, it's emanating, right? Like, my friend who reached out to me and said, hey, let's do this podcast, like, he felt one of the, the like, waves emanating from this uh, place. I felt uh, it. That's what gravitated me and my girlfriend to driving there right and then you know within three weeks four weeks of my friend and I supposedly doing that episode which we ended up not doing and me driving over to the town thinking I was getting prepared for the interview you know this national news story Sandy Hook parents you know win a Historic case, seventy-three million dollars against uh, Remington or whoever it is, which is—I'm—I'm I'm almost certain they're also a Connecticut company. So it's just—and <laughs> so, just, yeah. I—I'm
0: uh, so I, I, I'm, almost—I'm chomping at the bit. I've got so much I want to <laughs> go and reflect upon. Time. Go ahead. Can I hop in here? Yeah, all yeah. I'm right, just merging onto friggin' nuts. all right. So, what, what was the last thing that you just said? It was
1: The Remington and the oh, gun okay, company okay. being so connected.
0: So let's let's put into context, stream talk of like you know what this or, or this of what this case is. What that case is, without getting into politics or anything like that, what this case is is a confirmation that this really happened. Otherwise, there would have been a case, right? You know how else? Of course, this, this event happened as told because you no. Know, how else would the would the lawsuit go this way? There's an implication there. Right. All right. All right. So, do you know when Sandy Hook took place?
1: Two thousand and fourteen or thirteen? I think two thousand thirteen ah. or no seven. Ah. Two thousand seven.
0: We pull up the, the date on the Wikipedia.
1: Yeah, hold on. I think it's two thousand and something. Yeah. Two thousand twelve. December fourteenth, two thousand
0: and twelve. Okay, what happens in seven days?
1: From from now?
0: No, from the shoot, from that story being released into the public consciousness. What happened in seven days? What was seven days from that day?
1: From December twenty first. Oh, December twenty first, twenty twenty twelve. Wow. Yes.
0: Okay, <laughs> put this in. So now we're talking about. Whatever the, whatever's going on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna couch it this way because we're already talking this way. Look at this in terms of generational management, okay? Think about, so there, there's really two variables that are in play with this event. So one is this event, um, I would say was around 2007, Is and, and probably the best way to know is by looking at the, the release date of loose change. The first loose change, mm. because that really is when, when the, what we will call alternative media community really yeah. started. That was when people really started questioning 9-11. 9-11 was the event, which, right. which, and I'm going to say that was around 2007.
1: Loose change so, came out between 2005 and 2009. They had several different. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So that time period. So you've got, in that time period, imagine like the, the number of people who are watching it and beginning to think differently. You had you had six years. You had six years of everyone kind of like, made, uh, of sitting with 9-11 and the war that happened afterwards and all of that, and then loose change hits. And now people are starting, they're far enough away from it, they can start to look at it. And they're like, holy crackers. And then that just opened up a whole can of worms for a whole can of uh, a whole lot of people who never thought that way before, right? Right. Like compared to prior to that, so you've got five years of shit go- of of like this this learning of, of people beginning to like really beginning to have open eyes, and then Sandy Hook happens. This event, more than anything, was had the grist for people to analyze it in real time.
1: Right.
0: So you had five years of people, like like they needed five years of just a breathing room from the events of two thousand one before they could begin to open their eyes. And now and now they've got this event. And immediately everyone's like, I mean think about this is really when, when the whole movement or process of rejecting everything that you see from mainstream media began because this was like everyone saw it. They're like no, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. At the same time for the last five years, everyone this big overlap in these in these like groups of people. Everyone was being really, really peaked for what twenty twelve is going to be. Like the whole Terrence McKenna, like really had a pop, and all of these sort of like like consciousness and and entheogens and all of that type of thought was really, really coming in at the same time as all this loose change. And then this happened seven days before. So you've got all this sort of stuff going on in people, in a certain group of people. That is the significance of Sandy Hunt. That is a major cultural event on the psyche of people that reached It met different people in different ways. But that was a big deal. It was a very big deal.
1: Absolutely. And so when
0: you guys are coming back, like, you looking at this now is like, to me, I see this as like, well, now we're going to look at this even more in an even more different way than, than it has been before. Like there's new, there's new, there's even more growth. You know, we're post COVID, we're post pandemic. Right. So now. there's even, yeah, like in this, while we're recording this, that was a, that to me is probably I mean, without a doubt, that's the biggest a cold mental thing that's happened in my lifetime because it's affecting people so, so tangibly. Like, if you just watch the story of 9-11, September 11th, 2001 on the TV, that's not personal. Like, you can make self by it. And yeah, like the TSA came and infect you personally that way, but unless you lived in, like, lower Manhattan, or this or, or that area, like it wasn't so personal. Right. COVID was worldwide. Everyone was touched by it. You were locked down. And if you weren't listening to it, everyone else you knew were. Did. Yeah. Like, so, like, looking at this, so going back to this original question, you're like, you know, the dream dreamwalking. So it's at some point, you know, there's something is, is happening. And it certainly looks like it's, 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 in my opinion, it's already happened, and we're waking up to it. Um, and what we're waking up to is like this is this is what this is what it looks like now. And all of the things we're talking about with like ley lines, consciousness—that's true—and synchronicity as guide points—that's true. And then also like this isn't going away, and like how are you going to communicate? And like all of these different fissure lines and the dream walking—all it does. Is it gives you a point of reference to understand this this time period? Hold on for a sec. With greater clarity, you know, a guidebook for surviving the apocalypse.
1: Yeah, I I'm love dreamwalking. It. I love it, dreamwalking. Yes, I mean, I feel like you're taking me back to 2012. I I can't believe I. I Block that out. I thought it was, I think I I remember it being 2013 because that's when that interview came out on Greg's show. But anyways, I'm 27, born in 94. So that was my graduating year of high school, which means when Sandy Hook happened, I was probably, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I was in my first year of community college when that happened. How old were you when you made the movie? Was it, was
0: this that same time period?
1: (laughs) Yeah. As a matter of fact, that would have been the summer before Sandy Hook. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. All right. so, so what what I would suggest I mean this is a little bit of dream walk time travel. The more so two things happen like and I it, it, you would think that we we scripted this but I'm like when was it because I knew it was a week before before that big date and I and I I wanted you to tell me that and then listening to you say all of the wrong dates like you know there's something in your mind that's like oh no it didn't happen then like it happened at this other time and then you're like holy shit it really did happen and then the the week before, you sent me a video of actually stuff you made in that time period in your life. Yeah. So you are able to get into that consciousness. Like, that's not just looking at a picture of you at that time. That's like, you probably remember like filming it and all of these sort of things. It's like, this is the time travel. Like, you can very easily go into that place. And you know that that particular time in that video, it was before the event. This is like, you're. Who knows where if you were into if you were even aware of like the 2012 but i'm certain I you was. were because they made because they made hollywood films about it
1: well, I, was, Remember? I was in i was into it on a on a deeper level like i was i was somebody who was like all right here it is we're all going to cuz you know i'm only we're I'm all gonna I'm fresh watch. out of high school so i didn't know any better i was like all right we're all ascending to the fifth dimension this is what i've been reading about for the past year <laughs> All
0: right, so so listen to this. You want to talk about cultural generational management? It meets every one of these events, these large scale events on consciousness, and they, 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 we could go through time and just keep picking them out. But but you get the point now. They meet they meet each generation at that age in their life. Okay. So they met your generation, the people who are who are late 20s right now, they met you, or it met you, 2012 did, as you were going through like high school and middle school. Like, you know, these stories you're hearing about 2012 and like we're all going to ascend and it's going to be a different world and blah, 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 right? Like yeah. that's the age group. You would have been like middle school and high school.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, if you lived in a different time, if you were uh, if you were in middle school or high school in the fifties or sixties, guess what messaging you got all the time was?
1: Hippies are are bad. I don't know. No,
0: this is before the hippies are bad. It was this: go to college. You got to have a career. You got to be self-supportive. This is what you got to do. You got to go. You're going to move out of the house. You're going to take care of yourself. Right. That's what a generation thinks that way. That's why the other generations think that way. Now, it was pulled out. It was pulled out, or that, that quality, like any sort of person, like it's gonna meet each individual to a different degree, but you can see that was added as a very, very important time of your development, of your generation's development. There was a reminder, you don't have to worry about what the future's gonna look like because it's gonna be totally different. And even after 2012, like came and went, and you saw that it didn't change. There was a part of you that did, mm. and you can. And that's not for better or for worse. That is for understanding how, like, of course, our generations are going to see things differently because someone interjected a story, which we a different story for us at different times.
1: Yeah, yeah, you see that. I mean, you definitely see. With my generation, the mass distraction like of <laughs> social media, but really it was more like uh video games for a small group of us, and then that kind of I saw the dynamic that was pretty present in the little video game subculture just become everybody on their cell phone because I remember a time when there was like the razor cell phone, you know, and there are kids in school who had razor cell phones, but I, you know, I didn't get a a cell phone until after high school. You know, I was not that generation that had the phones everywhere, but I do remember the shift from like phone culture, you know, not being the thing to, being sort of what it is now, it's a little bit different now, but yeah. Well, what's what's the, What's the thing? what What's the what's the added
0: element which made that change?
1: Full immersion, <laughs> just, smartphone. Yeah, well, yeah, the smartphone. But I mean, like, so like
0: literally, but but like, there was a time, like, just go like to nuts and bolts, like you couldn't do that many cool things on your phone. So, like, yeah, you carry it around, and, like, what would be cool is you had a flip phone or maybe, like, something like that. Like, how many different ringtones? Oh, all these different ringtones. Like, that that, that was a holdover until they gave you the smartphone. And then as soon as you got the smartphone, there's so much that can be done. Like, everyone gets connected. Of course they are. Of course they are. It's a fucking Skittle factory in your hand. Right.
1: Well, and even even the smartphone, you know, wasn't enough to invade the like social atmosphere until Snapchat came around with the until filters. The app. Yes, with the apps until and people taking app. pictures of each other, that's when it became a thing where, you know, the phone, you could look around a room and someone's got their phone in their hand, you know. I remember when I was like 15 16 17 around that age it still qu- quite wasn't there yet you know
0: you are describing this is how this is how you manage culture you, you the model is first you build the infrastructure because you're right the smartphones came out and it wasn't like an immediate hit it's because there's only so much you could do but then what happened was it created the app industry and then there were but before the smartphones they created the platform so like all of the social media platforms, the, the Facebook, the, the, what they call it, internet 2.0 created those platforms and they started growing and seemingly in a different silo was wireless phones, that technology and smartphones. But it wasn't until the apps came that connected them. And when that happened, everything changed. Mm. You, you go and you build railroads, you know, oh, railroads across, across the United States. It wasn't really until the railroad town some years later really started popping up that then, like, all of the change in the behavior of how people live their lives happened. You build the infrastructure, and then you build this, and then all of these things come together, and then everything changes. It's a modus operandi. Everyone who runs those sort of organizations, they become the, the, the mercantile billionaire class of their time. You know, the the railroad tycoons, the internet tycoons. Like it's the same sort of friggin' thing because it's the same model. Yeah. And that's coupled then with all of the other stuff, the Disney, the mental programming. This is how you can go and when you become aware of it, you just see it for what it is. You just see it for fucking what it is. And like and you recognize that, you know, this had to affect me. Because you can see how it affects everything else. This is like, you know, this is the the, the, the the benefit of the dream walker. Like there's a little bit of, of, of cleaning up, which goes along with it, but that naturally occurs because of just awareness.
1: And that's what we're trying to cultivate here with this handbook.
0: And I would say that's exactly what we're doing. So everything we're saying like meets people in different ways. Right. Because I know this, because you know I get emails from folks who hear what we're talking about, and know what and people talk about different things. They talk about it in a way which, which was very personal to them. You know, we're all doing this. Is this is me. All right, I'm pulling into, uh, I'm pulling into the neighborhood.
1: All right, well, let me get one last thing past you before we wrap up here, because this email came in not for me; it came for sam and this was quite a, a synchronicity for everything that we're talking about that i almost wonder if this person has listened to your work before because they wrote to sam hi sam my name is james or i'm sorry hi sam james naismith did not invent basketball in springfield in december 1891 Basketball was invented in Herkimer, New York, a year earlier, and the first game <laughs> was on February 7th, 1891. So, you know, obviously, <laughs> Sam. Oh, my God, that's the best. Sam being a big sports fan, this guy knew exactly what Sam would like to hear about, so he sent him this email. Sam sent it to me and said, book this guy on tinfoil as soon as possible. But I thought it was fascinating considering you and I, you know, I'm looking in the Connecticut River, Springfield being on the Connecticut River. We just talked about that last episode, all the interesting stuff that our friend found about Springfield. And then this email comes in linking Springfield and Herkimer in this you know, history of basketball. I mean, look at that. Have you heard that before? Never. So, I guess James Naismith did not invented or did not invent basketball in Springfield. I don't know, maybe we just upset a lot of basketball, you know, nostalgic well, it, fans, but I don't know. I I wonder.
0: Well, that kind of mirrors the whole Abner, not I don't know the details of the story, but Abner Doubleday is not the inventor of baseball, but that's like who is credited for inventing baseball. Mm, right. So, so that is uh, that is kind of interesting, and then
1: yeah, that's 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 good stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what. Ooh, I have a link here. Let's see. <sighs> I'll send you this link, and maybe we could talk more about this next time, Bud. But yeah, good catching up with you, Mike. I'll let you go.
0: So, how about this next time? I want to. I didn't get into St. Petersburg and how it fits because it's a third point on this on this comparison of cities, which is really a an exercise into looking at 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 life through this dream walking lens. And St. Petersburg is very interesting too. So okay. let's talk about that as well. And you go and dig up whatever you can on Nia Smith because I don't know if I'm gonna have internet access.
1: Right on. All right. Well, let's do this sooner than later. We we let the listeners wait for this one a couple of days late. Sorry about that, folks. Thank you for tuning in as usual. Go support Mike Susquehanna Alchemy. And you know me, Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Back together again here on Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in.